What's up, everybody? Welcome into another episode of the Celtics Talk podcast here on the NBC Sports Boston Podcast Network. And ooh, someone special in the co-pilot chair today, my good friend, Steve Lopet, who doesn't need an introduction. He, legend on the Celtics beat and kind enough to join us from his seaside shanty in Nahan. I can see the sun splashing in. How does the water look today, Steve? How did you get this far in the business being such a liar? Yeah, true. I mean, that's what we do. Things are going well here, Chris. Uh, I, but seriously, like a nice day today. Like, is there any place better to be than on the water out there? You know, even when the weather was bad, even when mm-hmm. we were taking waves off the windows the other day, I was still, still a great place to be. I, I love it. Well, whenever you send me pictures from up there, I get a, a tiny bit jealous I, out here in landlocked central Massachusetts where I mean, we have a couple lakes. Couple ponds. Whenever you, send, whenever you send me pictures of you golfing, it makes me. <laughs> Which is why we're taping this podcast super early on a Monday. <laughs> so, uh, what I want to do is dive in first. So, the Celtics played a game yesterday. I'm going to recycle a joke I used on pregame live. Uh, the fact the Celtics were uh, performance was obscene, as Carson Edwards' Twitter on Saturday night. So we're not going to discuss that game. Moving on, though, <laughs> Kemba Walker was <laughs> was on the floor. And uh, looked pretty good, Steve. Like, what, what is your initial takeaway from seeing Kemba back on, on the floor? You know, that's my initial take is he was there. He was moving well. There was explosion in his, in his moves, which is really all you want to, you know, all you're required to see at that point. Um, the other stuff will, will take care of itself. Uh, there is no substitute for game reps um you can't get it in practice and just getting that that whole uh instinctive thing down which really is only going to happen when he gets the the the, uh, the group together when he gets the band together and they the start uh, playing and uh you know uh see if the if that works i, I mean We'll see so, how- is it, but but is it going to work? So that that's that's the next yeah. big question, right? Like Kemba looks okay. Like we'll we'll find out. Is he going to need that time to reacclimate? But Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, sort of without Kemba, dating back even to last season, have sort of ascended to a new level. Can the three of them find the right way to coexist and make each other better? There are other point guards in the NBA uh, whom I worry about. Shoulders up. Kemba Walker is not one of them. Uh, I think, you know, I think last year was difficult on Kemba. When you go from being, and I feel like I've taken a step back. I think one of the most difficult transitions there is in basketball is when you go from being a college scorer to an NBA guy uh, where you're not the, not the man. Uh, and I, I think we're seeing some of that um, with a, a certain Celtic rookie right now. Um, and you go from being a saturation score when you can shoot the ball whenever you want, when the ball is in your hands all the time, when you're playing all the minutes, and then you come to the NBA and Mr. Neesmith finds out that when he's on the court, which is rare, he might be the third or fourth option. He might get a touch every couple times down the floor. Kemba last year, he came from a situation where he was that guy in, uh, in Charlotte, and he comes to Boston, and he's got to – fit in more and he was willing to do that but I think there's still a an acclimation period to it and then you add in probably the larger factor was just his his knee health 
and he had to be concerned about that. I think that was probably an issue for him. So I think he'll be fine with that. I think he'll be a guy who promotes ball movement, um, who takes a shot when it's there, who steps into the uh, open space when it's there. Uh, I think it'll work out well, and I think it'll work out better than it did last year even. That's interesting. Like, I do think there's going to be just that feeling out process, right? Like we saw it yesterday and Kemba even alluded to this after the game where it was almost like everybody was looking at him like Kemba's back. Let's let Kemba get some shots. Let's over force feed him. I'm not saying that contributed to their 30 point loss. They were terrible overall. Uh, but like, I want to make sure that Jalen Brown stays aggressive that, you know, Jason Tatum doesn't change his game. I'm not so much worried about the latter. Cause I think Jason Tatum knows at this point he can do that. Does Brad, does Danny, does anyone have to just, you know, get that group together and be like, all right, look, Jalen, you still got to be aggressive or does that just work itself out? Uh, the problem with the Celtics, it hasn't worked itself out over the last few years. Let's take a, another step back, go to the way back machine here with, uh, um, you know, um, who's our guy on uh, Wayne, Wayne and Garth. Let's go to the way back machine. All right. All right. Swing. Um, well, it's no, it wasn't that. <laughs> Get your head out of Carson Edwards' Twitter account. Um, I think, you know, if you look at, at, at the 2018 conference finals, right? They get Cleveland at home. I know, look, I think the biggest Celtic issue over the last few years has been guys, and it's not a selfishness thing, but guys in critical spots saying, I'm going to take the ball and I'm going to go make a play. And no, that's not what you want to do. Right. You want it to come off of ball movement. Uh, so when you say, you know, guys like, like Jalen need to be aggressive, I mean, he's just got to play. The team's got to play in the proper flow where the ball moves, people cut, the defense moves, and, and that's where stuff happens. The ball will find energy. If you recall, what was the, the – uh, on Friday night, uh, Javante Green's dunk mm -hmm. from, the, from the left baseline. Okay, everyone's looking at the dunk saying, wow, what a great dunk. But I look at the fact that the ball switched sides mm -hmm. and that uh, Shemi uh, made the move into the middle, drew the defense. The guy had to step in a, a, couple of, a couple of feet. The ball goes into the corner to Javante, and he's got a lane now. So that was, you know, the, the things that set it up were what made that happen. You know, and that was ball movement and moving the defense. And so I think if guys like uh, like Jalen and Jason and everybody in that group, if the ball keeps moving, then they'll guys like that, guys like Jason Tatum will be finishers. And I think that's where, look, the best basketball you've seen from the Celtics over the last couple of years is when that happens when there's three or four passes, guys cutting easy shot or easier than it would be if you were going on one-on-one, one -on -one, which if you're a guy of Jason Tatum's talent becomes one-on-two pretty quickly. So I think if they just get that in their heads, um, that will work. And if you think about it, you know, we always are talking about Jalen and Jason's ages. Um, and I've been talking about this with people from around the league. Uh, you look at, and here's the interesting question. If you had Paul Pierce, Kevin Garnett, and Ray Allen together, you brought them together from other teams, and they were in their early 20s, is that going to work? 
you know? I mean, because you had guys, you know, still finding their way and still, you know, trying to establish themselves. Pierce would always talk about how it takes a guy, a talented player, a few years in the league because he's got to get that whole I want to establish myself thing out of his head and just play the game. So, uh, you know, I, I think this team, I came into this year looking at this team saying among the ways that they can improve, one of the, the biggest ones is just maturity and wisdom and wisdom together, a collective wisdom that, hey, if I give the ball up and I cut, I'm going to get a better shot. And, you know, and even if you don't score on a possession in which you made the defense move and rotate and all that, there's a value to that possession. You've made the defense work. You've taken something out of them for, for the other end of the floor. And you've got better floor balance by not taking a quick shot. I want to stay on this. Oh, go ahead. That's my end of my. No, I like it. For today. That was professor. That was professor Bullpath taking over. Where you, you you know you just broke down. Like you know like and I think it's sometimes the Celtics. It it it, it, it confounds me when they get away from that. Right. Like because Brad Stevens is sitting there in the in the huddle just saying make the right play, and sometimes it's as simple as that. And then they have these prolonged periods where uh, we had that score drought bug up on our screen yesterday for more than the entire 2020 season last year you know like it just felt like they they just could not figure out how to manufacture good offense so that need a good reminder to the celtics just make the right play the basketball gods will reward you just the, the ball's got to move we we know that and i just it's you're right it's hot they don't they don't understand sometimes or they it doesn't sink to the to the right degree and um you know it's it's crazy you're right. You just got to slap them sometimes. Come on, get back on your get back on your, your normal game. I want to talk about the rest of the roster. Well, I think that, you know, so much of it hinges on Jalen, Jason, Kemba. I want to get your thoughts on how the rest of this roster looks. The bench before yesterday had been pretty inspired play, probably beyond what I thought they would offer coming into the year. Certainly, like, there was a 48-hour period in November where I wasn't sure Shemi Ojale would be back. Now he's a vital rotation role. Peyton Pritchard hitting the ground running here. How do you feel about the Celtics depth right now? And let's start there. Cause then I want to get into like what they might need down the road. Well, let's go, you know, kind of the players you've mentioned a little bit. Um, Shemi, I was wondering, and you know, what we've seen lately from him has been really encouraging. I think, I think the biggest problem with, with Shemi's game prior to what we've seen of late is that he's, he's just not a big enough jerk. <laughs> and what I mean by that is you have to have a positive arrogance about you that, you know, look, you've done the work, you've, you've gotten your shots up, you've put in the work, you've earned the right to be making these shots. And I, I would see him get the ball in the corner too many times and hesitate for that split second. It's like, this isn't going to work. And you're seeing him step into shots more now. And I think that is a huge step for a guy like that. Uh, and if he can continue that, then, you know, he's here and he's a, a vital part of what's here. Because prior to that, I'm thinking, okay, there's going to be a certain point where you're going to need to cut bait with Shemi because mm -hmm. he's just not what he, what his talent says. And um, the fact that, you know, it's what's funny is he and I have had this discussion and he's, you know, 
but he's that kind of person, but you've got to leave that aside. That doesn't mean you take the ball and just go. It just means that when your opportunity comes to you because of, in his case, it would be ball movement, finding him open in a corner. You make the move. You've also seen him do something else this year that you rarely saw in the past is when he gets the ball and the closeout comes, yes. he's doing the fake, he's going to the bucket. And that's, you know, that wasn't happening so much before. And what, the fact that it's happening now is really encouraging for him. Um, guy like Pritchard, I don't think, you know, anyone could have expected what they've gotten. You know, when I saw him in college, I thought he had some, some Marcus DNA in him, Marcus Smart, the way he just approached the game. But um, he's a really heady player. And the thing that I think that I'm going to, I haven't spoken to Brad, but I'm going to bet the thing that Brad appreciates about him the most is that when Peyton gets the ball, he's, he's pushing it up the floor. How many times have you sat, we sat watching Brad on the sideline going, come on. Uh, And it's like, you know, and Tommy from above is yelling down. I was going to say, I get in stereo. I'd, I'd see Brad saying, go, go. And then Tommy would be in the studio screaming, go, go. And so, you know, come on. Yeah. And, it, and, but the thing is, so that, that I'm, and Peyton, I'm sure Brad appreciates that a lot about Peyton, that he's getting them into their <laughs> offense faster. Well, I thought you, you know? said, I, I just want to clarify. I thought you said Dayton. I thought you were going to make a, you shoehorning your school in. And then I realized you said Peyton. So go ahead. <laughs> no, uh, geez, how did Obi Toppin look yesterday? Um, anyway, uh, but no, so I, I think he, appre- I, I, I know that Brad has got to appreciate that about him. And the fact that you see when, when Peyton Pritchard drives to the bucket, uh, he keeps his dribble alive. Mm-hmm. You know, the play doesn't end there. It's, it's really, it's little things that are like fundamental things that I think, you know, have changed people this year. I, look, one of the biggest fundamental issues I have with a lot of players and you're seeing the the good side of it this year with Jalen Brown is something simple, a jump stop. He gets into the paint, whether it's out by the elbow, it's a jump stop and he's hitting the mid range or he gets down near the basket and it's a jump stop and he's going up strong or he's able to adjust to the defender and he's getting to the line for three-point play opportunities. Something simple as that, you know, um, it's huge. And those little things, I think, are why you've seen some better basketball. The lack of them yesterday, the lack of cohesion yesterday is why you saw the clunker. As president of the Robert Williams Fan Club, I am contractually obligated to spend at least 30 seconds an episode. So for this week's Time Lord segment of the week, I know he's been out. It's kind of hard to shoehorn him in here, but but – just curious, based on what you've seen, do you think he what's it? What is his role moving forward? Is he going to be able to be the definitive backup behind Tristan Thompson? Is he the long term starter for this team? What do you see from Time Lord? Well, I mentioned before that I thought the biggest jump this team could make this year was you know buying into the whole idea of that ball movement will save your life. You know, um, the second thing and this is before the season, was what are you going to get from Robert Williams? Yes. Will he take the step? Because we've seen that he has the, the ability, the capacity to do everything you need him to do. The question was, 
will he ever attack the game the way a player of his skill needs to? When you're that good, you're obligated to play that kind of, you know, to play to your skill. Um, and, you know, before you've seen kind of a sheepish Robert Williams make a great block, uh, you know, but you need to have him be that kind of, you know, just attack the game. I think I tweeted at one point uh, early this season that, you know, a lot of times you want to have players, you want the game to come to them. Mm-hmm. Not Robert Williams. I want him to attack. <laughs> yes. I want him to play angry. You know, I want him to be an angry guy with a soft touch, you know, around the bucket. I want him to be not the, you know, a soft touch around the bucket and in the mid range, even um, he's got those abilities and it, I'm not sure if it's Tristan Thompson's effect on him, but I hope at some point mm. someone sits down with Rob Williams and says, look, you know, uh, let's go to the, uh, the way forward machine back to the future. <laughs> and, and 20 years from now, Robert, I want you to sit down, pretend it's 20 years from now and look back. What kind of career do you want to have had? Do you want to look back and see how you are now, which is, a guy that shows flashes of brilliance, but is going to stick in the league. We'll, we'll finish out this contract, may get another one, and then we'll get some, you know, signed on for, for a year or two here or there by a couple of other teams because you're tall and athletic. Or do you want to be a guy? I mean, are you telling me that he can't be Bam Adebayo? I mean, are you telling me that he can't be that kind of a player where he's keeping the ball alive? Because we've seen it this year. Mm-hmm. And it's like, dude, now you've shown it to me. Now you've got to keep doing it, you know? Well, well, fortunately, because he's a time lord, he can actually go to the future. And so he might already know if he has that potential. He's just slow playing us. He's just letting perhaps, us. Perhaps the, the, yeah. <laughs> the slow build, which I appreciate. Uh, I do want to talk about what the future of this roster could look like. More, not, not so much long-term, but in the short term, the Celtics have a $28.5 million traded player exception. Uh, a lot of Celtics fans are getting antsy now that others in their division are making moves. We'll get to that. But I'm curious if, you know, let's say, let's put you in Danny Ainge's shoes. Is there a sort of player you want? Is there a specific player out there that you would target? I know a lot of this hinges on teams that fall out of contention and who might become available. But, you know, like when the Magic come up and we were talking the other day, uh, before this podcast, and I said, you know, I don't know what Orlando's plan is, but maybe they have pieces that could give up and, you know, start looking around the league. Teams are going to start to falter. You know, what in your mind is either where they need to fill or a guy you'd like to see on this team? You know, if if a, a guy worthy of the TPE of that size, TPE, or uh, the majority of it would become available, sure. You know, if, if he's someone that's going to fit what you're going to do. I think it's it's more you're more looking at likelihood of tweaks of guys to bring in. Like, you know, look, we all sit down and talk to Danny. At least I used to back when I was working. Uh, but last year, I he and I had the discussion, and and I thought Jamal Crawford would have been a natural to bring onto this team because he would have given you the score and he had the kind of uh, veteran presence that really would have helped this team. Danny, I don't think he, I didn't, I don't think he said he, he didn't think he'd get enough minutes to warrant him being here to make that move, to give mm-hmm. up somebody, to, to remove someone from the roster. Uh, we disagreed. 
Um, but uh, um, I think it's you're going to see something like that. But I think you've got to at first get a chance to see what your roster can do. Yeah. You mentioned that that people, that, you know, fans get antsy. Um, it's funny. You look at a team like Orlando and you say, "Geez, I'd love to have this. I'd love to have. Yeah, I'd love to have uh, Vucevic." Um, all these players that they have. Well, if all those players that they have were all that, then they <laughs> wouldn't be what they are. You know, and you think about how many teams in the NBA that you'd rather be than Boston right now. And that's not just with where they stand today, mm-hmm. but what they are with, you know, looking at the, the growth curve for what they have, you know, will, uh, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown be better? Will uh, Kendra, uh, uh, Kemba Walker be better as he, as those guys become, as he plays healthy and those guys become more cohesive? Um, in the NBA, generally speaking, out of a seven-game series, the better team wins. Celtics have to realize that that didn't, or Celtic fans have to realize that that didn't happen last year mm-hmm. against Miami. Miami was not the better team. Miami played better. Miami played smarter. So I guess they, you know, they deserve to win that series. But would you rather be Miami's roster or Boston's roster right now? You know, uh, Jimmy Butler at his age. Right. Um, and you look at some of the games Jimmy Butler had uh, where he, you know, wasn't assertive with the ball so much. Uh, and you look at his numbers. Um, one of the biggest fallacies when we hear it all the time is that It'll be people in media or someone calling up a talk show um, and saying, you know, or more often people in media, this guy, Jason Tatum, has to go out and get 25 tonight. Kimball Walker has to get out, go out and get mm-hmm. 25 tonight. No, he has to go out and make the play that's available to him. And if he scores, you know, 15 points, but they're efficient and, you know, his positioning allows other guys opportunity opportunities you know that that's what you want to see our friends at points bet have posted odds for the atlantic division now divisions don't matter anymore they don't hang banners especially not in boston because you win the atlantic division title but i thought it was a good jumping off point here the nets after their move to acquire james harden have vaulted to the front of the odds they're at minus 125 the philadelphia 76ers are actually right behind them at plus 250 and then the celtics at plus 350 let's start here with the Nets, steve like how bullish are you on this group now that they've added james harden well uh you know the question is do the chemicals create <laughs> this this beautiful work of art or uh does does everything does this explode the only ways i've ever looked at these things are if everyone, if your team plays to its maximum capacity, who wins? Mm-hmm. And if, if the Nets play to their capacity, they win. And in fact, I think they've got a, a damn good chance of beating anyone in the West if they play to the level of their collective skills. Now, is that going to work? You know, look, there's only one reason why Steve Nash is coach of the Brooklyn Nets. That's because Sigmund Freud was not available. Um, I, I just wonder. I, you looked at the other night, uh, James Harden triple double, nice. 
you know, looked good. Of course, it was against Orlando, which was playing on the second night of a back. Leave that out. He also had nine turnovers. And turnovers are going to happen, especially when you're in a new situation, perhaps. But looking at the, was it 14 assists and nine turnovers, that's a lot of ball dominance. Mm -hmm. And how's that going to work out when you put your, put your, uh, him on the floor with Kyrie and his enjoyment of owning the basketball. Um, so is that going to work? That's, you know, the, the huge issue. And Hey, look, you know, grab the popcorn, pull your seat up closer to the TV. It's going to be interesting to watch. You, 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 look, we both covered them. Does anything that's happening right now in Brooklyn surprise you with Kyrie? No. Um, no. <laughs> and I, I got to tell you, I, you know, let me start by saying I think Kyrie is one of the best handful of players, handful of talents in the league. Mm-hmm. I mean, the stuff he can do is amazing. So when he talks about his art and stuff like that, dude is an artist and he, he, he can play. I mean, to a level, to a point guard level that, you know, few have ever seen at that position. I, I honestly believe that. But I think there's other things that work with him. And um, it's easy to just chalk it up and say, the weird guy and this and that. But I, I think there's something more there. I think there's something deeper that he has issues with. So as much as you can sit there and it's easy to, you know, to, to poke fun at, at some right. of the things he says or, or take offense uh, to, um, to what he says, you know, media members as pawns. I've always seen us more as rooks. <laughs> just me you know we're kind of guarding you, thing, you know um but you know i i think there's other stuff going on there that makes me you know not jump in with both feet yeah off the top rope with the elbow smash I, you know I, I i think there's some something else going on there um and you know i hope at least that part of it he works out because you know i you want to see him happier you want to mm-hmm. see people happier there are things in life that are difficult. You and I, we've both been through them, you know, uh, losing people. It's there's stuff in life. that's hard. You can't get around it. Playing basketball and uh, dealing with media loonies. Uh, that's not, that's not some of that. You know, this isn't the hard part. We're pretty easy. Like I think you, uh, you, you kill us with a little kindness and you have us in your pocket, at least someone like me. Uh, but I agree. I, people that have listened to this pod have heard me say it over and over again. I uh, know it's, it's easy to, to make Kyrie a punching bag. I just genuinely hope when he was in Boston, he wasn't happy. And I thought maybe going home, maybe playing with his friend would bring him happiness and it hasn't been enough. And look, there's a lot of craziness going on in our world, but I do hope legitimately that he figures out what can make him happy because I love watching him play. And when he, he is an absolute wizard with that basketball and what he can do on the court, it's too bad that we don't get to celebrate that more because of everything else that goes on with the product. Take a step back here. We talked a little bit about the Atlantic. Oh, go ahead. You see him walking into closed doors so often. It's like, you know, dude, you, you, you didn't have to do that. You remember the, the shoot around in New York after he'd been uh, brought into some, some talk about his future, some trade talk. Yeah. And we were at Madison Square Garden and, uh, and people are going like, you know, what's going to happen here? When we walk over to talk to him and that's when he says, you know, ask me July 1st. I don't know anybody, anything. And I, I guess I can say the name now. I, I walked away from that and, uh, you know, we were all stunned. 
And Al Warford said, you know, what did he say? And I said, Al, he essentially said, my life is going to be miserable this summer. <laughs> and it just, you know, it was a roll of the eyes. And it's like, yeah, yeah. You know, here we are. It's like, all you do is you, you quell that, you move on, problem solved. I yeah. said what I said preseason, you know, anyway. Just just a weird season. I, I'm not eager to, to relive that. Then there was that outburst in San Francisco where you tried to quiz them. And, oh, man. Oh, uh, Milwaukee. Uh, yeah. Oh, was it? All right, wow. Actually, uh, um, well, Milwaukee was when he when 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 the floor thing happened. And, oh, okay, yeah, I'm sorry. And then yeah. and then and then I thought I think it was out west where after the All Star break where we just that, was, that was Milwaukee again. That oh, was, really? Uh, All right. Well, yeah. it's always Milwaukee. That, then. that was in Marquette. I'll, someday I'll tell you about because I followed him out into the hallway to have oh. a conversation with him, and someday we'll talk about that. Oh, all right. Well, you're gonna have to subscribe to the Celtics Talk podcast to get that uh, that, that bonus feature down the road. Uh, where do the Celtics rank in the East? They got Philly coming up this week. As we saw, the Philly's still ahead of them in those Atlantic Division odds. I'm not quite sold yet on what Philly is. I, I think we need to see a little bit more. Uh, it would help if they were at full strength. Obviously, they got a game canceled on Sunday as well because of COVID. Where does Celtics stack up? If you know, if they're playing to their potential, can they get to the level of a Nets at their peak? I think uh, right now is constituted as we, from what we've seen, I'd say I'd put them at, at two and that sounds crazy to put them ahead of, of Philadelphia based on what they've, what each has shown so far. But I think, I think Philadelphia, um, I'm not a huge Ben Simmons guy when it comes to playoff basketball, possession for possession. Mm-hmm. You've got a guy with the ball in his hands that much outside that can't, won't shoot the three. Um, the decision-making I've seen from him in playoff games is, is not what I'd like, what I would expect from a max player. Um, and I, I think, you know, I go back to last year with them and how they changed their roster and really kind of threw away some opportunities. You let um, James, Jimmy Butler go, you know, I would have, you know, prevented him. I would have had the whole team tackle him and prevent him from leaving. <laughs> Because there was a guy who could get his own yeah. shot. And that's what that's kind of the thing that they would need because he could draw attention. And now you've got a cutting Ben Simmons instead of Ben Simmons out top pounding it. Uh, and then a guy like, like J.J. Redick. In today's NBA, a guy like J.J. Redick is worth his weight in gold because he's a guy that you know spread, can spread the floor and you have to honor him. And that gives more room for people to move. You know, go back to basketball is a complimentary sport. And I'll repeat one of my favorite phrases. There wasn't a day in Bill Russell's life that Will Chamberlain wasn't a better individually talented basketball player in terms of a basketball decathlon. But Bill Russell understood the object of the game in a way that, that Wilt never grasped fully. So, you know, and it, it is a team sport. It's a, it's a social game. So the Celtics won and Wilt didn't. Uh, and I, I just, you know, guys doing your job, running to sacrificial running on a fast break, uh, running to the corner, knowing you're probably not going to get the ball, but that it opens the lane uh, for, for someone on your team. That's, that's a winning play. Uh, having a J.J. Redick out there, that's a winning play for, for the, the Philadelphia Sunday or it was. Mm-hmm. So I, I'm not a huge believer going forward in them, but – if you're going to tell me that Joel Embiid uh, is going to wake up at the start of the playoffs and decide to dominate, mm. all bets are off. 
Call DraftKings. Take it off the board. <laughs> no, call boy, points bet. Uh, and so uh, where do you stand on Milwaukee? Uh, I thought they made huge mistakes last year. I think that uh, that uh, uh, the move they made with the point guard this year is huge. Mm. I think bringing in Holiday yeah. is the best thing because last year, trusting Eric Bledsoe, giving up um, uh, on, on your guy that went to uh, Indiana – and why am I blanking out on um, who's the guy that they let go last year that, uh, that, that signed as a free agent? Here. Oh, well, Malcolm Brogdon. I'm sorry. Exactly. But yeah, I mean, so, so that last year put them in a rough spot. I, I just didn't believe in them at all last year because of that. Uh, and, but now with Holiday, that's, that's going to be a difficult playoff team now because you've got a really solid counterpoint to Giannis. And also you've got Chris Middleton standing there going, I'll hit five in a row if you like, you know, if the, if the floor is spaced properly. So, you know, I, I think they could surprise. So perhaps I'm, I'm downplaying them more than I should. Maybe I should put them right now in terms of what they could accomplish uh, them to Boston three or four with, uh, with Philadelphia. But I, I would caution that what you see from the Celtics in these next two games, assuming they get played is you can't, may not mean a thing relative to what you see at the end of the season. Um, I, I think that could be uh, entirely different. All right. Well, uh, we don't talk this much basketball when we're normally together. I'm a little uncomfortable that we've talked this much hoops. Uh, we need to keep it light. So uh, I'm debuting a, a new game here. We, before we hopped on, you were telling me you're a late night owl. Did you, uh, back in the day, did you ever watch Craig Kilborn's late night show? Sure. Okay. So uh, it's time for four questions. I don't and have that, graphics. Because, so. it's, because it's on that color paper, it makes it official. I like it. <laughs> this is how I do title cards and then stuff. So, you know, we, we don't have a graphics budget yet. So John Henry's still working on that, producer John Henry. Um, so I want to ask you a, a, a few uh, off, the, off, the, off the grid questions that are not necessarily Celtics related. One of my favorite things that appears that every time you are referenced online, someone says uh, he was a college intramural teammate of Dan Patrick. And uh, so that like, I feel like, Celtics legendary beat reporter and then intramural like I, I think that's the right order but um what was your favorite Dan Patrick catchphrase well in college it was uh give me the damn ball <laughs> um I, I suppose the en fuego thing mm. uh, which at first he had gotten wrong he used to say el fuego and then someone corrected him because el fuego is the fire uh instead of en fuego on fire now, Dan, I, my, my stock line about Dan was in college, he had a three to two assist ratio, years to assist. Um, but he was, to be honest, he was really good. And uh, what was funny is uh, he was a big Bill Walton freak. Mm -hmm. This is, you know, we're talking late seventies, big Bill Walton guy he was. So he named our team, the Walton gang. And, uh, and we won the intramural championship. And so few years later, here we are, uh, he's working for CNN at the time, and I'm working for the Herald covering the Celtics. 86 finals are happening, and, he, and we're in Boston about to cover Bill, a game that Bill Walton's going to play in, and it's like, this is pretty crazy. So, uh, but he was, Dan was a real talented player. Um, so it, and as, it pains me to say this, as good as he tells you he was, he was actually a little bit better. Who, who wins a one-on-one -on -one matchup between you two? Oh, he, he'll, he'll win that. Really? You couldn't take him down the post and abuse him? 
Well, Dan's pretty tall too. I'm, I'm just, I'm giving Dan credit. I, I you know, one-on-one, I, -on -one, I don't know. Um, but, you know, well, even, even then my knees were getting shot. And, and, uh, <laughs> you had those Kemba Walker knees. Uh, yeah. that's, that's not a joke. I couldn't, I couldn't afford the treatment. <laughs> you could not do the palate rich injections and all that. Um, you have spent the better part of 35 years on the road for 200 something days a year. Does Marriott call you during this pandemic and just like, hey, just checking in, making sure you're all right? Like, do they call you? We miss you. No, uh, I understand <laughs> what's going on. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a lot of people that uh, um, were, are in the same boat. So, you know, yeah. sadly. Well, I do want to stick on the Marriott's. Like, what, the, I mean, because this is something we obsess about. You, I, I, What I love is that for people that didn't see it, we, when we would be planning for a road trip, and I would be booking last minute. Steve would have his stuff booked six months ago and he'd be like, no, no, you want to be at this hotel because it's, it, you can take the Marta and get there. It's right. You know, like he had every pro tip imaginable. I've learned so much, but I'm just curious. What is your fate? Like, if I say, what is your favorite Marriott? Is there any property that jumps to mind? Well, um, Rena Del Rey Marriott, mm. not bad, not shabby. Uh, but there's a lot. I mean, you know, um, the properties in New York, there's a, a, a few properties in New York that are great. I mean, proximity wise and all that. Um, so, yeah, I'd, I'd probably say Marina just because it's a place where I, you know, I know people and, you know, it's, it's you think more, you think less about the hotel, uh, perhaps, than, uh, um, than more about the surroundings, I guess. I, and that's the way it is for me. Like, I, I, every time I start to compile a list, I realize it's just based on weather. Uh, I think the, 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 there's the, the one in Manhattan Beach in LA that has a par three golf course off the back. Uh, it recently rebranded, uh, but I enjoy that hotel because you can go That's play good. nine. It's too far from where we have to go. So I don't, it's like, I, you know. So, and that is the balance, right? I actually usually, my, one of my favorite hotels is in Santa Monica, but the train goes to downtown LA now. So it makes it a little bit easier. Uh, now I'm know, just getting. I've dropped you off at my rental car there before. <laughs> That's right. Uh, uh, I I missed the LA weather as I sit in my cold cold basement. Uh, keeping on the travel theme, question number three: What is your favorite airport? You know, um, to be honest, I'll, I'll, I'm going to say Logan because it means I'm. What? Home. This blows my mind. It's crazy. I mean, it's like I I, I love. Explain yourself. I. I love flying into Boston. I love okay. flying in because a lot of times we'll take a route where I can see, I can see my house from here. You know, it's like I'll I'll be flying in, if, you know, and go, hey, wait, I left the, I left the light on. <laughs> um, I, you know, um, so yeah, I just I love I just love landing in Boston and uh, and being home. Um, as much as I love the job and travel mm -hmm. and on all those things. Um, when you complete a trip, there's a, there's a sense of, okay, we, we got something done yeah. here. And there's like a, a certain, there's a little passage there. I, that, that's a fair assessment because I can think I, we have Worcester airport out here where I live and I've only been lucky enough to fly in and out. I think three times uh, they've, they ramped up service now pandemic service is coming back down. Uh, but I do think it's cool flying in. Like I'm like, Oh, there's my golf course. I I'm a member there as I fly in over it. And then there's my house. I landed what people don't know, like I live out in the middle of nowhere. Every time I land in Boston, I know I got an hour commute home, but I land in Worcester. I was at my kid's dance class, like five minutes later, I was like, this is amazing. So um, yeah, I can see that. I can see that. I, my favorite airport though. And again, this is partly because of what it means 
is Myrtle Beach because one, I'm going to visit my mom and probably on vacation and relax. My kids love it down there. Uh, but it's also like the quickest airport. Like you're through security in 12 seconds. You're at your gate. Usually I take a 10 o'clock flight home and you can show up at 9.55 and you can still make that flight. So the, the lack of hustle and bustle, it's just not like a real airport to me. So I enjoy I th- that. I thought you might say Charlotte because there's a Bojangles. In so, there. okay. And um, Charlotte, Atlanta. If anyone ever needs to know where the Bojangles are, uh, it's in the international terminal uh, at Atlanta. A little bit of a, you know, but it's technically the first terminal before they start going ABCD, I think. Um, oh, it's, in the, it's in the T-Gates too. What, oh, really? Yeah, it's in the first thing. Yeah. No yeah. one told me this. I took a picture and sent it to you, you knucklehead. I thought that was Charlotte. No. Hmm. Well, you learn something new every day. Uh, there, every the, the, the bottom line is every airport. You try in the working with them. You know, you try. <laughs> every airport should have a Bojangles because, and this is a reflection of me, I will actually take a connecting flight through one of those airports and lengthen my journey home, knowing I can get Bojangles coming from like Chicago or whatever. Uh, I am a sick human being, but their chicken biscuits are phenomenal. You know, uh, like I said now, that the people that are that are watching this and seeing how you love Bojangles and let's add barbecue and other things in there mm-hmm. and are looking at you and seeing as slim as you are, <laughs> these are people that now hate you, Chris. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, you know. I, look, I, I, for everything else that they can make fun of me about, like my metabolism, like evens things out a little bit. All right. Yeah, I, you know, I've, my, my broken ears and my broken speech, you can make fun of me for. I've used, to... I've used this time to try to get in shape, but I know that if, you know. <laughs> uh, question number four, we're wrapping it up on this. Favorite non-hoop sporting event. And the reason this jumped to mind is because we both love golf. And uh, I kind of had an inkling where we would both go with this. But uh, there was this famous story where Doc got tossed, I think, in like the first quarter of a game. Uh, and it was one of those years that Tiger was at the Masters. And it became a running joke where even Doc started to lean into it, uh, where he might get himself wrong. If you were a coach and you could had to get out to what, go watch one sporting event, what might it be? Um, my favorite the- basketball event. Pardon me? I was going to say, and why is it the Masters? No, it's not the Masters. What? <laughs> no, it's not. Uh, it, my favorite non-basketball sporting event is give me Stanley Cup playoffs. Um, you know, that kind of intensity, edge of your seat, one wrong move could, could tilt the, yeah. the, the, the balance. When you watch, if you're into hockey and you're watching the, you know, just the fact that things could change in an instant, uh, a series could change in an instant. You kind of get an idea of why people in the rest of the world watch soccer or their football, because, you know, as, as dull as it may seem to some people here, because there's not the nonstop action, uh, there is action. And it's just the idea that, that one wrong move could cause a break. Mm-hmm. And in hockey, you get that, and you also get um, the potential for mayhem and violence, which is uh, <laughs> oh, mayhem and yeah. violence in golf. Like, yeah, Ian Poulter uh, might only if, his- uh, <laughs> if Brooks Kepka is playing with Bryson DeChambeau. <laughs> I mean, no, I, you know, golf. I you know, I, I love it. Uh, I love watching it, and uh, you know, one of the reasons I wind up staying awake late at night is you're watching the replay of the uh, golf, you know, watching golf channel. Um, but anyway, yeah. 
No, I, I, I was like the Masters has this, and maybe because we're lucky enough to now we're going to have two in the span of five months is 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 an embarrassment of riches uh, for golf fans. But uh, I still, my favorite as a kid was always when I would wake up early in the morning and I would have Sports Center left on from overnight. And I never shut my TV off, and then the British Open would be playing in the morning in the summer, and that would just be, I mean, that was that was awesome. I'd be like, you know, rolling out of bed and and watching golf. So. As a golf nut, those are my favorite. But I do get you. Like, you know, I, I'll even watch the World Cup because of that. You know, one move can can swing stuff. Um, that's a good point. And, but and, and, it's just, there's, such, there's such intensity, mm-hmm. especially Stanley Cup. You know, you, you know, I was watching the Bruins the other day, and regular season hockey can be – it can kind of drift on you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but playoff hockey, I mean, that's just, you know, in your face constantly. And uh, – uh, yeah, I, I love it. Yeah, well, one of the great uh, things used to go in covering the NBA Finals when, when every paper used to cover the Finals, whether your team was in it or not, uh, was um, the the writers from Toronto, the, the Canadian writers. We'd get together on the off night and go watch Stanley Cup playoffs in some bar, <laughs> and it was fantastic. It was you know a little tough trying to find Labats in you know in San Antonio, but hey, um, you know it was great stuff. We returned the favor. We were up in I talked with about this with Baxter Holmes recently. We were up in Canada, Toronto, when the Red Sox won a World Series uh, a couple of years ago, and like trying to find a baseball game when there was NHL playoffs go, or NHL going on was like impossible. And oh no! So, it was. I remember that. I think I remember the night. Uh, it was a Saturday night. The Red Sox were playing Detroit, I think, and I was going sports bar to sports bar, and the problem was. The, the Canadiens in my, Montreal for their, for, were there for preseason mm-hmm. game. The Canadiens were playing the Nashville Predators that night. And of course, everything stops for that. You know, <laughs> when, when you have that kind of rivalry, yeah. you know, throw out the, you know, throw out the books. This is, and I remember convincing uh, one, they said that they, he'd give me one TV as soon as the game got over, one TV before it got over, but it was in the corner. And, um, you know, I, I was, I was appreciative. I think that might have been the night that Mike Napoli hit the home run that I think has still yet to land. <laughs> what a recall. Uh, well, one thing I'm appreciative of is the Steve Bopet dropping by the Celtics Talk podcast will not be the only visit. He's already teased that he's going to come back with even more insider information. When I hear everyone around the league start talking about uh, people on the free agent market that need to be signed, Isaiah Thomas, Jamal Crawford, Steve Bopet is at the top of my list. I need everybody to go like and subscribe. Check us out on YouTube. Leave a comment. You can roast us uh, about whatever you want, and there's no shortage of opportunities. We'll catch you next time on the Celtics Talk Podcast.